if you're just kind of looking at spitballing somebody who may make a sneak appearance, that's somebody who I'd have my eye on. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mainline Podcast on this beautiful Wednesday, August 4th. I'm your host, Tyler Burton. Proud to be joined once again uh, by Corbin Polson. Adam is not with us tonight. Uh, he's got a work trip that he is highly participating in uh, down in Dallas, but he put out some fantastic content a little bit earlier this week with the uh, his buddy Derek from Kansas State, some pretty good information, uh, kind of a different perspective on the realignment with uh, with the conference going on. But Corbin, just me and you, man, how we doing? Doing good. Yeah, echo what you said. I thought uh, that podcast earlier this week was great, just to kind of get a, a different view of how everything is going on recently. Uh, obviously, we only take things really with a crimson and cream lens. So good, uh, good insight there from Adam. And uh, yeah, excited to get going tonight. How's everything on your end? Yeah, everything's good. Um, we're the the countdown is officially on. We are less than a month away from the start of football season, so uh, got everything planned for the the trip down to New Orleans. We're actually we were going to fly, but now it turns out we're going to be driving. So not looking forward to eight or nine hours in the car, but it should be a fun time on on Bourbon Street, and hopefully it's a good win and a nice drive home. What was uh, the deciding factor in making that change? So we, we've got four tickets. It was actually going to turn into a family trip. Uh, me, my dad, mom, and sister were going to go. Um, anytime we do any type of travel like that, mom and sister don't really like riding in the car for an extended amount of time. So once they decided not to go, um, got a cousin going with me and one of my other buddies. So uh, we're just going to leave bright and early on a Friday morning and drive down to New Orleans and make a big weekend out of it. So should be fun. Yeah, real scenic drive. Lots of things to look <laughs> yeah. at. Really, yeah, really yeah. About. Absolutely. Going through, uh, East Texas. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. Yeah. So. Uh, well, great. Yeah, let's hop into it. Obviously, as you mentioned, less than 30 days away from college football season kicking off. Uh, tons of things that we're excited to go overnight. Before we get too far into it, we want to just kind of take a look into the Big 12 conference as a whole. Yes, it is still a conference uh, as things stand right now. Uh, and obviously, there's tons of storylines that I know you and I are both really excited about heading into the season. So I'll, I'll kick it off with you. If you can identify a few, uh, what storylines most interest you, get you excited, kind of pique your uh, your expectation for this upcoming year? Yeah, we'll kind of go back and forth here. But the first thing I want to start out with, um, kind of seems like we've been asking this question, I guess, for the third time now over the last decade. And it's a uh, new head ball coach down in Austin, uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Can he do what his predecessors couldn't do, couldn't accomplish. Charlie Strong coming over from Louisville. Tom Hearn was the big hotshot coach coming out of Houston. They weren't really able to get the program back on track, back to that standard that Texas has been so accustomed to during the Mac Brown era. Um, you know, 45 and 37 is his record as a head coach. So he kind of took over a struggling program at Washington, had a couple really good years, kind of fell apart towards the end. We all know the story back behind that. Uh, but he's got a talented roster down there in Austin. But I think he's going to find out real quick, one, he doesn't have Nick Saban to rely on uh, week in and week out. And two, as good as Texas's roster is, he doesn't have Alabama's talent. So it can make you look a lot better as an offensive coordinator calling plays when you've got Mac Jones throwing the ball to Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and guys like that. But um, really the only thing that I've got for Sarkeesian, it's, it's not going to be a cupcake going into his first year. He's not really going to have any time to kind of get his feet wet. Texas has got a pretty... Uh, pretty tough uh, start to non-conference play. Obviously, Louisiana at home in Austin. We all saw what they did beating Iowa State in Ames last year. And then week two, traveling on the road to take on our fellow SEC member in, in Arkansas. So that's going to be a good one to, to kind of test them. First true road game. Uh, and then just kind of look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, obviously, you've got OU uh, down in Dallas, Red River Shootout. And then you've got a couple really tough away games at TCU, at Iowa State as kind of the year uh, goes on. So, We'll see what Sark does in his first year. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm going to stay in the state of Texas, but just go a little bit north. I'm actually curious how things are going to play out in Fort Worth. Um, it's crazy thing. Just a few years ago, I mean, we were battling TCU not only for a massive home game, um, you know, in Norman. What was that, a five or six matchup? Am I imagining mm -hmm. that, or was that correct? Mm -hmm. I, I think um, it was a top seven matchup. Yep. yep, and then uh, I believe it was a top 11 or 12 matchup, obviously playing them later in the Big 12 championship. So it's crazy to think that program, you know, just a few years removed from really having a legit shot of being a college football player, excuse me, college football uh, contender as far as the playoffs concerned. Uh, so I'm curious to what's going to happen down there. You know, can can they turn that ship around? Can Coach Patterson uh, get back to becoming competitive in the Big 12 conference? And if not, 
how hot of a seat is he on? Uh, I think that we're at that point now where that's a really valid question. Um, it's hard to disassociate Gary Patterson and TCU just mentally. It seems like they just go hand in hand. Uh, but at some point, if you were TCU, um, granted, there's a lot of things going on at the moment. Maybe this isn't the highest you know, uh, item on your radar if you're TCU right now. But uh, you got to start wondering, you know, how much longer until they need to make a change? Um, mm-hmm. Do they still believe in Gary Patterson? And can he bring TCU back to uh, being consistently competitive in the conference? So we'll see. But that's that's one that's on my radar. What's uh, What's your second? Yeah, second one for me, um, going back up, uh, going back up north. Uh, can Lightning, you know, strike twice up the names Iowa? Can Iowa State do it again? You know, no longer are the expectations for Iowa State. I guess going into this season, you know, let's try to win seven, eight games. You know, maybe knock somebody off that we shouldn't. There's no more flying under the radar. I mean, you you've gone from being the hunted in this conference outside of OU to or the hunter to being the hunted in this conference. So. Uh, Matt Campbell, uh, the, the team that he's got coming back, all 11 guys on offense returning, nine guys back on the defense. You have to beat Iowa. If, if Iowa State fans want to have the uh, Cinderella-type season and you know a top five, maybe reach college football playoff, starts off, you've got to take care of business at home against Iowa in the non-conference, a team that they have not been able to beat in the last five meetings. Um, so this is a big-time matchup for them. And outside of Oklahoma, man, it's a very favorable schedule in the Big 12 play. Essentially, outside of OU, you're getting Oklahoma State, Texas, and TCU all at home. Those are your three toughest opponents outside of Oklahoma. And the fact that you get them in your backyard, schedule sets up nicely for for Matt Campbell's squad going forward. Yeah, same point for me. Uh, All about Iowa State. Um, I was talking to you before we recorded the pod. 2008, Kansas was in the Orange Bowl. So we have seen kind of one-year wonders of teams, you know, sparking up, really playing good football, and then they kind of disappear outside of, you know, really OU um, has consistently been around. So uh, curious to see your spot on. Can Matt Campbell um, make this more than just a one-year wonder? Can this really start to be a consistent program who battles with the OUs, the Texases of the world, and whoever ends up in their future conference? I mean, you got to think right now, if the Big 12 stays together, regardless of who they add in, Iowa State's probably the favorite to kind of lead that conference moving forward. And that Mm -hmm. is going to be shown or it's going to be just an afterthought based on how this year goes. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious to see kind of how things play out up in Ames. And you almost kind of have to wonder, too, now with the future of the Big 12 so uncertain, what does that even do for Matt Campbell, who we've kind of talked about in previous episodes now? Going in after this upcoming season, you know, having, you know, 19 to 20 guys back, is his stock going to be any higher moving forward than it will be after this season? So now that you've got the uncertainty of the Big 12, does that dissolve? What's the future of this conference look like? Does this, you know, increase his chances of, you know, jumping ship and and taking a better job at a more high profile school? So last but not least for me, I'm staying right here in in, uh, in Norman. It's for OU. It's, it's now or never. This is going to be the best defense this 2021 season. This will be the best defense that Lincoln has had since he stepped foot on campus, you know, five, six years ago. Spencer Rattler going into year two. This could be the best offensive line, according to Lincoln Riley, that we've had since the 2018 Rose Bowl team. So, you know, big, big shoes uh, to fill. Obviously, losing Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely, you know, going to the NFL. But we saw how close OU got with Baker and Kyler a few years ago. And ever since Kyler lost to Alabama, We've been circling 2021 on the calendars, this being the year. And now that, you know, they potentially have an elite defense with such a veteran group, this is the season to go win a national championship. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Uh, My last one is really probably, you know, outside of necessarily what's happening on the field. Uh, I'm very curious to see how OU fans and the team in in general are um, going to be welcomed to different venues around the Big 12. So yeah, I'm uh, super excited to hit the road. Um, you know, OU is known for being road warriors. Uh, I think we will probably go into this year with uh, some more rowdy environments uh, working uh, against us on this one. So yeah, always a target on the back when you wear the uh, the crimson and cream jerseys, but I think this year will be a little bit of a different animal if I had to guess. Maybe some more nastiness, not only towards the players, but I think possibly towards the fans as well. So very curious to kind of uh, see how that plays out, but especially Bedlam. I have a feeling that one yes. will be uh, very rowdy, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If there's anything that we've seen from their president and from their fan base, <laughs> that Bedlam this year, it's uh, uh, there, there's going to be no uh, no love lost when it comes to that rivalry in Stillwater this year. Not at all. Not at all. And then we, hey, if there's two years left or there's four years left at this conference, 
we need to win them all. We mm-hmm. cannot go out on a losing front to Bedlam because we'll never hear the end of it. Uh, even though you know it's eighty <laughs> game difference uh, between, yeah. between the between the two schools. So, uh, well, let's move forward into a, a new segment. We're going to call it Clockwork. Uh, basically, we're talking about the past, the present, and the future of college football. We've really put together some questions in all three of these sections that we thought were interesting to talk about. So we're going to give it a go. Uh, even though we're 30 days out of college football, uh, still not a ton to talk about at the moment. So it's kind of us ad-libbing just a tad. Uh, but I think we've got some pretty unique questions uh, to uh, go back and forth on. So curious to see where, see where we will see eye to eye and maybe some areas that we're going to butt heads a little bit. So let's um, get off in the past here. So we're going to talk about Blue Blood just for a little bit. And uh, I know you see eye to eye with me on this one. When you think of the greats, quote unquote, in college football, uh, who haven't been necessarily relevant of late. Uh, USC, Texas, Michigan, Miami, Nebraska. Those were kind of the ones that I think we really highlighted uh, as as kind of who fit that category. Mm -hmm. First question of those five, which one is most likely to get back to national prominence the fastest and why? Well, for me, it's not Texas. It's not. It's not going to be Michigan. I think that we can both probably agree on some of the reasons why the, those the the path you know back towards the top for those two programs is going to be a little bit tougher, especially when you've got OU uh, in the same conference as, as Texas, and you know moving over to the SEC competition is going to get ramped up even more. And then obviously uh, Michigan having to deal with Ryan Day and Ohio State year in and year out. I think unless they get a new head coach and make some drastic changes, I don't know what that's going to be, but. Uh, uh, it's going to be some tough sledding for Michigan. So for me, I think the answer to this question, it's USC. That region uh, up there in, in in California, in that part of the country, it's a recruiting hotbed. And I think that also when you take into effect NIL coming coming into play and how that's going to be a, relative, or a, a huge part of college football recruiting moving forward, the impact on a school like Southern Cal in Los Angeles. But they, to me – they have to find the right head coach. I don't think that Clay Hilton's the answer. I think that they, you know, they need some new life. Whether that is a Graham Harrell um, or maybe kind of an up and coming coach that we see around college football, but um, Clay Hilton's not the guy. And I think that and you've got to get the right guy to come in there with all those resources and the Pac-12 kind of being wide open. I think that the easiest path for one of these blue bloods to kind of return to you know national relevance year in and year out competing for championships. I'm going to go with USC in this scenario. Well, we're starting off in full agreement. Uh, USC to me is the obvious choice. Um, one location, LA, you know, everything that, you know, Southern California can bring to um, the lifestyle of a 18, 19, 20, 22 year old kid uh, is, is hard to beat. And two, I think you're spot on. There's not the other massive player on the West Coast that everybody else is dealing with. When you look at a uh, Nebraska and a Michigan having to deal with uh, an Ohio State. When you think of a, a Miami having to deal with the Clemson, when everything at Texas having to deal with the entire SEC now, the West Coast doesn't have that. Yes, I think Oregon is a is a is a power program, but it's still new blood. Um, right. They don't they don't have the the deep roots uh, the USC has. But I I think you're spot on. You get rid of Clay Helton probably after this year, if I had to guess. Uh, move forward with. You got to go get a big name hire in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think that program can easily be turned around. I'm not quite as closed off on Texas uh, becoming more relevant than USC uh, in an in earlier fashion. Because if there's one thing about Texas, I think we can all agree on is it has all the tools in the world to be a power program. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it's just not. And I do think the whatever word you want to put on it, the, um, the, the blindness, the arrogance, the cockiness of that, that donor program, all of the above, all of the above. Yep. Um, I think it can be humbled by being in the sec and that could ultimately be a good thing for the entire program as a whole. So I do think there's a possibility there where I think they will have some, uh, tougher growing pains in this conference than OU will. Um, I do see a light at the end of the tunnel if they can kind of take this in stride. And I think right there with Texas, I would have Miami kind of fighting for that that two spot here in kind of my pecking order. Mm-hmm. Southern Florida. I mean, like, it's all there. The heyday of the U and the, the, the hurricane was when they recruited strictly Southern Florida. Um, so really, if they can get back to that, it's right there for the taking. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. 
everybody else is now caught up to them in their own backyard, yeah. uh, including, you know, majority of the SEC conference. So uh, that'll be, you know, easier said than done. But if you look at a Texas compared to a Miami, Miami has got a whole lot easier path to try to get back to prominence just for their conference sake alone. The ACC is mm-hmm. nothing in comparison to what, you know, the SEC is dealing with. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I would order. I think it would be, it would be USC, it'd be Miami and Texas kind of in that order. Go ahead. And I think that Texas and Miami kind of share a very similar problem when talking about recruiting within their own state. You know, many, many years ago, Texas and Miami, you know, they had those states on lockdown as far as whoever the premier recruits were in that particular state. Nine times out of ten, they were going to end up either at uh, at Miami or down in Austin with Texas. But now, with college football changing so much over the last, you know, two to three decades, no longer are, are you the lone team. that is a competitor, kind of the top dog in that particular state. Now you've got programs like Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State we've seen, you know, have such a a larger impact on the state of Texas recently. You're having all these blue blood programs around the country. They're now being able to go into these states with a much bigger recruiting budget and poach some of these kids away from schools like Texas, Miami. So they've got their work cut out for them, um, but it's, uh, it's a long road ahead, I think, for both of those teams. Yeah, I agree. Let's let's flip the script here. So um, obviously, I think that that leaves us with Michigan and Nebraska mm-hmm. as potentially the school of these five who we think are dead forever. Uh, they will never come back to college football prominence of those two. Which one do you think is the program that you're going to label dead forever? Uh, I'm going to go with the program that OU fans are going to see take uh, take Owen Field here in about six weeks or so. Um, it, it's got to be Nebraska for me. I mean, they're 43 and 41 since joining the Big Ten Conference. And Scott Frost, this will be his, you know, I believe this will be his third year or fourth year as the head coach. He's 9 and 17 against other Big Ten opponents. So they haven't been to a bowl game in five years. Recruiting is much tougher now for Nebraska than it was when they were in the, in the Big 12. They've kind of lost their footing in the South or in some of the Southern states like we've seen in Texas uh, and some of the surrounding areas as well. But Honestly, Corbin, for me, it just kind of comes down to the simple question of, is there really anything that gives you optimism that Nebraska one day can overtake the likes of an Ohio State, a Michigan, Penn State, and even programs like Wisconsin or Iowa? I just don't like the direction that they're heading in right now. Um, I think they're they're kind of in a rut, and I, I really don't see anything right now that's going to change my mind thinking that they can get back to what they once were, you know, being a top five program in college football. Yep, with you 100%. It's Nebraska. Um I think there's still um, an enamor with the Michigan brand mm-hmm. and with maybe that's just strictly the fact that they're a Jordan school. I think that does still relate um, to recruits coming in, uh, playing in the big house. I mean, come on, like who wouldn't want to do that? Nebraska feels old. And I think that's a really big problem when you're trying to relate and to recruit to kind of this age of, you know, student athletes coming through high school. It doesn't have that life and excitement that somehow against all odds, I mean, you can make an argument. Michigan's been almost as bad as Nebraska for the past few years, Mm -hmm. Um, but Michigan still has that life in the program. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's Nebraska. I just I'm with you. I, I'm I'm trying to find like a positive for the program. It's just not there. Um, so I I'm with you. I think uh, I think Michigan's got a, a much better chance to uh, to return to to glory than than anything Nebraska's got going for them at the moment. The one thing that I will say about Nebraska, the passion of that fan base, the loyalty of that fan base, that's unwavering. That's not going to go anywhere. It doesn't matter how bad that that football team is year in and year out. Uh, Lincoln's going to be full. That stadium's going to be packed each and every Saturday. They love the Cornhusker football. So the fact that you're always going to have the buy-in and the support of that fan base, um, that can kind of keep you going. And maybe once you get the right guy in there, beef up the recruiting, you you know, who knows, maybe it might just take that one special year to kind of get Nebraska football back on track. And I think Scott Frost could be that guy. I actually like Scott Frost as a coach. I just think the program and where it's located and the lack of recruiting ground around it, it feels like an impossible task for probably anybody outside of Nick Saban, if you want me to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I like Scott Frost. Um, he's got a tough, tough next two years though to deal with, especially when you factor in the non-conference schedule, having OU back-to-back years. Uh, it, yeah. It's going to be tough sliding up in Lincoln. 
Yep. Well, that that knocks us out kind of for the the past blue bloods topic. Let's let's fast forward here now to the present. Um, you know, as much as we probably hate to admit it here, and you know, Norman and being OU fans, uh, there are really you know three programs right now that are head and shoulders above college football, and that's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Obviously, all of them replacing massive names on their rosters. So, looking at those three schools moving into next season. Which of these teams are most likely to have a multi-loss regular season? I can't believe I'm about to say it. And oh, we're going to agree on this, aren't we? I thought I was going to go off the cuff. Go well, ahead. The more, the more that I started looking at this and started looking at the schedules for all three of these teams, I mean, starting with starting with just Ohio State, Oregon, I think is probably their, their most challenging game on the entire regular season, uh, Big Ten play. Um, they get Penn State at home. They get Michigan State at home. They do have to travel to Indiana. I don't know if Indiana can, you know, duplicate what they did last season, kind of like Iowa State. And then on the road at Michigan, yes, that should be a tough game. Ann Arbor, hundred ten thousand fans, but I don't trust trust Jim Harbaugh one bit uh, to yep. to get that team ready to play against them. And then just moving over to Clemson, outside of Georgia, which I think that Georgia is, I, I'm probably going to pick Georgia going into that game. Even though they're going to start week one with a loss, looking at the rest of the schedule, there's really nothing that that worries me. If if I'm Dabo Swinney and and DJ, um, yep. they don't they dodge both Miami and North Carolina in the regular season. So you're telling me that their next toughest game probably is to to close out the year at South Carolina. We don't know what Shane Beamer's team is going to look like, but um, just looking at Alabama with the amount of talent that they've had to replace. Yes, I know that they recruit like crazy, and they've got 25 five stars probably. Um, ready to take over at, at all those remaining spots. But when you lose your quarterback in Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, they have to go to Texas A&M. They have to travel to Florida in week three. I think that that could possibly be a sneaky matchup, especially if Bill O'Brien, the new offensive coordinator, hasn't got uh, the, the new guys, hasn't got his system implemented yet. So I can't believe I'm going to say it to the team that's probably going to be preseason number one, but I think Alabama probably has the highest chance to lose two games in the regular season. It, well, this is just turning out to be an annoying segment because uh, I thought I was going out on the limb picking Alabama, uh, and here we are agreeing. So I, I was thinking the same thing going into it. I was like, Alabama's not losing two games, and I still don't think they will. Right? Like that's not what we're saying right. here. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I do think kind of working in order of what you did. So I do think at Minnesota to start the year for Ohio State is tricky. You know that place is going to be loud and it's going to be bumping. Uh, so for working in a brand new quarterback on the road in conference play, tough. Watch out for that. Do I think they're going to lose to Minnesota? No. But I think that's one that probably is the second toughest game on their schedule. So they've mm-hmm. got at Minnesota and they host Oregon. It is possible in a world that they lose both of those. Um, don't see it happening, though, just to be fully honest. And then you kind of shift the, your gaze to Clemson. Again, I think Georgia probably wins that game, but it's – it's in Death Valley, so I mean, you know, it's at least going to be. It's in Charlotte. It's in Charlotte. Oh, is it, is it neutral? Okay, yep. thank you. Um, in Charlotte, so but then I do think at NC State and at South Carolina, not gimmies. Um, but again, you look at Alabama's schedule, not only with who they have on it, but the fact that you're playing Miami at a neutral site. You're going and then at Florida and then at AM within the first six games of the schedule. Mm-hmm. That is one thing. If you look at the other two schedules, the tougher games, for the most part, if there are going to be scares, come way down the line with a rivalry game, a late road game, something like that. Bama is coming in with a, almost a brand new offense as far as key players coming back. And they're starting their their hardest part of the schedule really seems mm-hmm. to be on the top end. So yeah, I I don't think any of these teams are probably losing two regular season games. But if you look at just the schedule alone and the difficulty, you have to say Alabama, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's completely agree. I, and it's yeah. it's shocking that we're that we're saying that. Yep. Um, all right. Next question, sticking with the present. So this one is a little bit uh, kind of up for our interpretation, if you will. So what we're going to do here is we are going to tell you a team that um, brings us kind of the, the most interest, the most interesting team we've got going into the, to uh, next season, and also the most depressing team that mm-hmm. we envision going into next season. So we didn't have any groundwork for this. So I'm kind of curious how you interpreted this and uh, who you picked. 
So a team that I'm kind of most interested to watch and see how the season plays out for them, um, I'm start, I'm going with Georgia in this scenario. Very similar to what I kind of talked about with Oklahoma and it kind of being a now or never uh, t- type season as far as winning a national championship. I think it's the exact same approach and it's the ex- exact same way that fans in Athens are going to be looking at their team and Kirby Smart. You know, JT Daniels, this is kind of the unsung savior is what Bulldog fans are kind of anointing him. Obviously, he missed a huge majority of last season. He took over at the very end. The four games that he played, he, they did go 4-0 and scored 37 points a game doing it. So it looked, looked really impressive in that fashion. They've got three starters on the offensive line coming back. We know Georgia, even though they lost both running backs in the NFL last year, they reloaded that position better than anybody in the country. So only having five starters back on the defensive side of the football, I think maybe a little bit of cause for concern, but it's Kirby Smart. He coaches defense. They recruit just as good as Alabama. They're going to have guys ready to go and fill those positions. But when you look at the schedule, kind of like what we were talking about with uh, with Clemson and Ohio State, outside of that week one or week two matchup with Georgia playing against Clemson, there's really nothing else on the, on the in the entire duration of that schedule that scares me. Um, I guess you're, you could make the case that your toughest game after that is going to be maybe at Auburn or uh, world's largest cocktail party against Florida. But the fact that Georgia has such an easy schedule and they avoid the top three programs over on the West Division, not having to play Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M, schedule sets up real nicely for Kirby Smart's team. And I think kind of what OU fans have been um, saying about 2021, this is the season that not just Oklahoma – but Georgia better be playing for a national championship as well this year. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Uh, I'm actually staying in the SEC. I'm going down to College Station, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers A&M last year, ranked fifth in the final college football playoff poll. Mm-hmm. Probably had a pretty solid argument to hit that four spot instead of Notre Dame, but things played out how they are. I mean, we hear constantly in our backyards, more so yours than mine now, about A&M about the prominence of the program, how they're so close to national prominence, how they're right on Alabama's heels. Mm -hmm. If that's true, then this should be a top five to six ranked team all season long. Uh, I know they had to replace a lot, but if they are who they say they are, then this should be just an, it, it, no more resetting and, and taking a couple years to get back. You're, you're in the reload process now. The other thing with AM is now they have a very, very small window before the two kind of biggest recruiting competitors in the state of Oklahoma make their way into the SEC. This is a window that they have an opportunity to put all of this in motion so that when OU and Texas come into town, they can still be beating their chest like they are now that they're the best team of the three, so on and so forth. So I really think it is going to be an interesting year for the Aggies in College Station. Um, Is this uh, was last year kind of a one year wonder or are they actually a national prominent brand year in year out? I think we're going to find out this year and it'll be pretty cut and dry by the end of it if they are or they're not. And I, honestly, I don't think we're going to find out anything about Texas A&M until it looks like week six against Texas Alabama. or against Alabama. I mean, you look at their yeah. non-conference schedule. No offense to um, your community out there in Boulder uh, and <laughs> in the Denver area, but Colorado being their toughest non-conference play, you're really not going to find anything out about Texas A&M until they take the field against Nick Saban. So um, yeah. hopefully Jimbo Fisher can figure out a way to – maybe keep it within two touchdowns or maybe find a way to beat them at home. You're not going to have a better opportunity to do that right now. Um, yep. Obviously, Texas A&M, they do have to replace four offensive linemen, and they're probably going to be starting a freshman quarterback. So um, yeah. as, good as, as good as their defense is going to be, Jimbo's guys work cut out for him on offense. Yeah, and, and even the game up here, you know, in Colorado, they're playing at mile high. I mean, it's not like they're playing, you know, in Boulder. So that's going to be filled with Texas A&M fans. At worst, that's a 50-50 stadium split. A&M mm-hmm. is going to travel to Denver. They're going to fill up mile high, no doubt about it. Um, so I will definitely be seeing some maroon uh, come that weekend, I have no doubt. And I know absolutely nothing about Colorado football, what the current state of that program is. Couldn't tell you who the coach is or one player on that team. But who knows, maybe yep. they shock the world. I would not be uh, – I would not be opposed to that. Altitude changes things, man. Gives you fighting chance. Going from <laughs> College Station to Denver, hopefully Texas A&M gets up here a few days earlier to settle in. Um, all right, so let's shift gears. Most depressing team that you're looking at heading into this year? I don't really have much to say on this one. I feel like this is a team that you could pick any of the last 10 to 15 years, maybe since they they made that appearance in the Orange Bowl. It's Kansas for me. I mean, the laughing stock of college football, the over under on them is one game on what on, uh, that they're going to win this season. So 
kind of dealing with the the aftermath of the Les Mile era. Uh, I think that they've got a really good coach, but um, Kansas, I mean, it's it's a terrible football program. And talk about you, you couldn't have it couldn't have happened at a worse time that their program that their football program is at an all time low, especially with all this conference realignment stuff going on. So Kansas Jayhawks, depressing to say the least. Yeah, for me, it's Nebraska. Uh, for nothing else besides the fact that this is the anniversary, obviously, of the game of the century. And, like, you can't even be decent. I mean, I'm not asking for good. Just, like, decent. Uh, and who knows? Maybe they'll end up being decent. Maybe that's the case. But it's like, hold up, you're into this, right? Like, this is supposed mm-hmm. to be a pretty special weekend for both uh, both universities. And I can't tell you a single Nebraska fan that probably has any hope that they're going to walk into Norman and be competitive. And that uh, scares so. me, honestly. Really? Okay. It just in terms of the fact that we've been talking about this over the last three to four months, how this should be a cakewalk for OU. OU should boat race him from the get-go. Nobody's going to give Nebraska a chance. I don't know. For for some reason, maybe Scott Frost can work up some magic and um, yeah. give OU a game. But that one kind of scares me a little bit more than I think a lot of people around here would, would let on to believe. We've had crazier games than in, if Nebraska came in here and made it a game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, no doubt about that whatsoever. So mm-hmm. – yeah, we'll see. But yeah, that is, uh, you know, knowing what this year means to a lot of fans who appreciate that rivalry back in the day. Yeah, hard not to be a little depressed thinking about Nebraska <laughs> yeah. right now. Uh, all right, moving on. So outside of Texas and Iowa State, uh, who is the biggest threat to be in one of those top two spots for the Big 12 championship game? This is an interesting question. I kind of went back and forth between OSU and TCU on this one. But for me, I'm going to go... Our answers are going to be different. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'm I'm going down to Fort Worth for this one. I'm going with TCU. I mean, I looked at the odds this morning with Vegas. Currently, TCU is tied with Texas and Oklahoma State for the third best odds just to reach that game. I think it was a plus 400 value. So if you're looking to lay some money, maybe may some pretty good value with TCU in that one. But this is going to be a veteran team, and we all know how good Gary Patterson can be when he has a, a veteran group, when he does have a returning quarterback that's got a, quite a bit of experience. He does have that with Max Duggan to go along with, you know, five-star running back Zach Evans. They're really excited about sophomore uh, wide receiver Quentin Johnson. Um, And then just looking at TCU, man, kind of like what we've talked about with, you know, some of these other programs up to this point with the favorable schedule. Um, All three of their non-conference games are going to be at home this year. They are going to be at Amon G. Carter Stadium, uh, Duquesne, Cal, SMU, and then honestly, dude, 3-0 after that point. And then looking at the rest of the Big 12 schedule – I can probably go ahead and pencil in one, two, three, four, five more wins for that to get them to eight. And then you're telling me that Texas, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, they've only got to win maybe one, if not two of those games to to make it to, to Arlington for the championship game. So I like the value in TCU here, and we'll see what Gary Patterson can do. Yeah, this is tough, right? Because I genuinely think anywhere between three and nine, I can probably see anybody kind of finishing up anywhere. I'm actually going with another team in purple, uh, but I'm going up to Manhattan strictly, strictly for schedule alone. Um, And here's why. So I do think, you know, take a look outside of the big 12 conference, you have Stanford and you have Nevada, probably one of the better non-conference schedules in the big 12. So I think they will be battle tested if you want to call it that by the time they get to conference play. But then if you look at who they have coming to home, uh, coming to Manhattan, OU, Iowa State, TCU, West Virginia, KU, all at home. If you can split going at Stillwater and at Austin, I mean, you got a chance, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So it's a very, very favorable schedule. Man, <coughs> excuse me, Manhattan's a tough place to play. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you just are looking off of um, schedules that could be favorable, Kansas State's got to be in that conversation. If they can handle their business at home, which is certainly easier said than done, that's a tough home schedule, but much better than those those teams being on the road. And you can split between Stillwater and Austin, go one one. Um, you got a chance, got a chance for sure. So I would say K State. Do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. But if you're just kind of looking at spitballing somebody who may make a sneak appearance, that's somebody who I'd have my eye on. Favorable schedule. Chris Kleiman's a really good football coach. If they can keep Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn healthy, and then yep. they have a chance to be a really improved football team from last year. So uh, OU fans know all too well uh, the, the trouble that Kansas State can, can provide. So hopefully we can go up there and not get beat for a third straight year. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears and bring things back to Norman. We're going to take a quick look at OU's schedule. We're going to rank the opponents in order of 
least difficult to most difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to see how much we're going to overlap here, especially at the top. Because I think there's a few games you could probably, you know, switch between one and four pretty easily. So curious to kind of where you're starting. And I'm really curious if you're going to have Western Carolina or Kansas as the <laughs> least difficult game on the schedule. So I'll start with 12 here and I'll work my way down to the toughest game that I think is going to be for on OU schedule. Number 12 for me, I'm going Western Carolina, yawn. It's the pay-per-view game for a reason. Number 11, no surprise, it's Kansas. Do we really have to say much more than that? Did you at least battle those two? Because I did. I did. And in all honesty, if you put Western Carolina and Kansas on a football field, it's probably a pretty good game. Might not be the best football to watch, but probably would be somewhat competitive. So 10 for me, I'm going Tulane. They've got 16 starters coming back. First true road game environment for Rattler, even though it only holds 30,000 people. And it might be a safe bet to say that, you know, at least a third of that stadium is probably going to be in Crimson. So uh, that'll be a good opportunity for to Spencer and the rest of that team to kind of get their feet wet in a in a true road environment. Number nine, Texas Tech for me. Matt Wells, he's coached for his job this season. And while I like the transfer quarterback that they have from Oregon, I think he's going to be a solid player. If Oklahoma shows up in this game, it should be over midway through the third quarter. So number eight for me, Nebraska. We've touched on this one. Number seven, at K-State. Oh, you better have their attention. In this one, Skylar Thompson, Deuce Vaughn. We all know the problems that Chris Kleiman has given Lincoln Riley. Lincoln's 0-2 against Kleiman uh, as a head coach. So uh, number six for me, I'm going West Virginia. And guys, let's not forget, West Virginia was just three points away from playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game last year. So they've got 17 guys back uh, on their team. And I think that Neil Brown, I think he's building something special up in Morgantown. This will be his best team that he's had in his three years as head coach there. Um, So watch out for West Virginia. Number five, and I think that we'll have a little bit of a differing opinion on this one. I've got Oklahoma State at number five. They call it a rivalry. It's extremely lopsided. We know it's going to be a hostile environment, but I don't trust Spencer Sanders. I trust Spencer Rattler. I trust Alex Grinch. So I've got OSU at number five. Number four, OU traveling to Waco to take on Baylor, year two for Dave Aranda. He'll have 17 starters coming back, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator uh, coming over from BYU. I think that that's going to help out uh, Baylor's offensive scheme. And the fact that Dave Aranda, who was kind of thrown into the fire last year, going through COVID as a first-year head coach, not having a true offseason in a fall camp, he's had a more traditional offseason this year, being able to get his guys. He knows what he has in that locker room, and we know that Baylor's going to play really good defense uh, no no matter what they do on the offensive side of the football. And then closing it out, number three, at home against TCU. Number two, at home against Iowa State. I feel much, much better about OU's chances to beat Iowa State at home than I will number one against Texas, even though I think that OU will be probably a 7- to 10-point favorite against the Longhorns once they take the field in October. We can throw the records out. We can throw the spreads out. It doesn't matter who the best team on paper is. Anytime you get those two teams on the field in Dallas, there's no telling what's going to happen. So Texas one, Iowa State two. Okay. Um, not crazy differences, but there, there are a few. So, uh, yeah, 12 and 11, Western Carolina, Kansas, knock those out nice and easy. Uh, Texas Tech's actually my 10. I just don't think Texas Tech's a good football program. Uh, and I think you having them at home, I think it'll be a blood black bloodbath, if not worse, uh, you know, coming to Norman. I've got Nebraska at nine. I actually think going at Tulane will be more difficult than Nebraska simply for the fact anytime you start your season on the road, even if there are a good chunk of OU fans down there, that's tough. That's tough. And especially breaking in one of our big question marks for the year is O-line. Starting off on the road with an O-line that you've got a question mark on, that that it's more about what's happening that week than necessarily Tulane as a football team. Right. Um, I do think that'll be interesting. I got TCU there at seven, not, you know, too many concerns about that West Virginia at six. Um, So those two games at home, I think will be just fine. Um, This is where I think we start to differ quite a bit. Uh, I've got at Baylor at five going down to Waco um, past few times we played down there, obviously been very, very tough Um, at Kansas state. I mean, They've beaten us twice in a row. Better be ready for that game. I've got Red River at three. Um, I think 
it will be very tough. I, I could have interchanged one through three with mm-hmm. the snapping sneaker. Um, so I've got Red River at three, Iowa State at two, and I've got Bedlam at one. Really more about, again, very similar to Tulane, it's what that weekend entails. That's the final game of the season. Potentially the last time Bedlam is going to be played in Stillwater for quite some time. If this team is who we think they are, that game has massive implications for not only OSU season and bragging rights for that annoying fan base, but also for OU's national title hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that place will be raucous. It will be loud. It will be ugly. And I think that makes it a really, really intriguing game down the stretch as far as just being difficult. So um, yes, we've had Oklahoma State's number, but more times than not, at least over the past couple of decades, that's been a relatively close game. Um, so I still think um, that has its own challenges. So that's the way I put it out. So really, I think only a couple of difference there, really some at the at the top um, and then kind of Tulane. Tulane was a little bit tougher, I think, on mine than it was for, for yours. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on that? How much you disagree there? What position did you have K-State at? Four. Four? See, that's kind of where you and I maybe differ a little bit, which maybe I'm a little too confident. I mean, yes, Kansas State has beaten us uh, the last two years, and you know I was actually I was there in attendance when they beat us in Manhattan. Jalen Hurts this year, but you've got to think that there's just no way Lincoln's going to lose to a team for three straight years, especially when the talent discrepancy is is so uh, lopsided in, in in OU's favor. But um, I like Skylar Thompson. That's been known on this on this podcast. So if he's healthy, Deuce Vaughn's healthy. Who say they won't be able to give OU a run for their money? So. I mean, last year, Norman, Kansas State was, I'm pretty sure, out with, you know, their entire secondary group, and they end up yeah. pulling out a, a win. Yeah. So, for some reason, that game just gets weird. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it almost had to be high on my list just because you you can't lose to a team three years in a row, no. especially, like you said, with that big of a talent difference. So, um, let's fast forward. That that took care of all of our kind of our present questions, if you will. Uh Putting emphasis now on the future. Um, Some of you may have seen Gabe Eichert's tweet on the uh, college football Sirius station with him and Holly Rowe. Holly Rowe said that OU would not win an SEC championship within the first decade of being in the conference. Tyler. Holly, Holly, Holly. what (laughs) What percentage do you think that actually could be true? Because it could, right? Like it could happen that that actually does take place it can't be zero because there's always a chance. But what's what's your percentage on OU not winning an SEC championship in the first 10 years of the conference? I absolutely adore and love Holly Rowe. She's one yeah. of my she's one of my favorite sports reporters out there. But for this one, I'm going with 20%. And here's okay. why. I know OU fans are gonna want to hear this, but there's gonna be an adjustment period for Oklahoma going into the SEC. Now do I think it's going to be like Missouri's was or Texas A&M, where other than Johnny Manziel's two years, um, OU is OU going to go seven and five, seven and five, eight and four? No, I don't think that they are. I think OU right now is 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 better built. They're more equipped to transition in the SEC and be competitive than uh, Texas A&M and Missouri was at the time back in 2012. So as far as winning the SEC, it doesn't look like Nick Saban's going anywhere anytime soon with his contract extension, you know, uh, being finalized. Uh, just just a few days ago, but um, for Holly to to go and say that there's no way that Lincoln Riley and, and Oklahoma can win that conference one time out of a ten year span, there's no way. So tw- I'm going to go twenty percent and feel pretty good about that. So we'll have to get Holly on. Yeah, I had it just below you. I, I had about fifteen percent. I could easily have gone up to twenty. There there is a chance that that mm-hmm. that absolutely, absolutely would happen. Um, it's a much different conference. It'll be interesting because I think there are factors there that come into this. Is it a pod system? Is it a division system? Are we lined up to play Alabama every single year? Those things come into this that kind of swing it back and forth. I don't know if Saban will still be coaching 10 years from now. Um, I have no idea. If he's not, that obviously increases those chances Mm -hmm. because if Saban drops out of that, as much as Alabama will probably turn over and still be a powerhouse, it's not with Nick Saban, yeah, um, and that's a really big difference. So that kind of top podium uh, podium spot will be available if, if Saban does end up retiring in the near future. 
who better to walk into place there than a young hot coach, you know, out of Norman and Lincoln Riley. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely possible that we could go in there and see a decade without a conference championship. I think that's a very low possibility, even just out of luck's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to think that's, I mean, even LSU had an, one amazing offensive year in the past 20 years and they were able to win, you know, a conference championship. Yeah. So you got to think that there is, you know, even just on a, a luck switch and draw that there's going to be a, an OU championship in the SEC in some way, right. shape, or form. Um, let's turn the tables here a little bit. I think this one's probably actually a little bit more of an interesting question. Um, if we're going to put money on, if we're going to be betting individuals, what happens first? OU goes to the SEC and wins a conference championship or the remaining Big 12 teams, assuming they all go to different conferences, or I guess if the Big 12 adds more, whatever the case may be, but that's less of an inter- interesting question. Do they win a conference championship in their new conference before OU wins a championship in the SEC? This was this was kind of challenging, and honestly, I don't know if my answer is going to be good or if I interpreted this the right way, but for me, I'm going to say my answer is going to be that a remaining Big 12 team uh, is going to win their conference before OU wins the SEC. So just say for a minute or two that Oklahoma State or TCU goes and joins the Pac-12 in the next yep. year or two, or even in 2025. That conference hasn't had elite college football played in it, I guess, since Marcus Mariota was was playing quarterback at Oregon. So if I'm a Cowboy or a Horn Frog fan, I have to think my odds are going to be better as time goes on winning the Pac-12 when I'm, you know, I'm really having to, all I'm really having to do is have a special team maybe, you know, every two, three, four years and uh, just have to take down Oregon or Washington or USC. I think that's a lot more doable than what we've seen in the past. It's a lot more doable than competing to win a Big 12 championship when you've got the likes of OU, Texas, Iowa State here recently ahead of you. So um, I don't know if I feel too good about it, but I'm going to say that uh, a remaining Big 12 team wins one before OU does in the SEC. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you there. And I think that's probably the most competitive um, kind of future look on where these teams could be headed. Because you got to think, what if a TCU gets left out and they go back to the Mountain West Conference? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, then they'll Heck probably yeah. win, you know, a conference championship for OU does. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping step with you there. I definitely would take the field in that scenario. Um, but time will tell how all that plays out. So that was kind of a wrap on our, our clockwork segment. Uh, before we get out of here, obviously want to take, you know, a quick deep or a quick uh, dive into – Fall ball starting next week, correct? Am I right on that? This Friday. First uh, practice this Friday. Friday. There you go. Goodness gracious. Um, so, Tyler, I just I know we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper in the next coming weeks, so don't want to go and do anything too crazy. But if you're looking for a couple things that interest you, excite you, got question marks around heading into fall ball, what are they? Yeah, uh, th- there's a few things. Um, obviously, football's here. Um, it's time to that we. It's nice that we could finally talk some football, talk some X's and O's, and not talk conference realignment or any of the offseason drama that's been going on. But um, just a couple things for me. It starts with the position battles in the secondary. I mean, we rewind the clock four or five years ago, and any time there was a position battle, we didn't know who was going to win the job. It almost seemed like OU fans were almost holding their breath because it appeared there probably wasn't somebody good enough just to take that job. Fast forward to year three of Alex Grinch, and at all three positions in the secondary, you've got a tremendous amount of talent. I think there's a lot of uncertainty as far as who's going to be starting at those positions. You look at corner, we think we know it's going to be Woody Washington and DJ Graham, but you've got guys in Jaden Davis, Latrell McCutcheon, Joshua Eaton right now behind them that are making a push. Obviously, the nickelback position, we've heard nothing but good things this entire offseason about Jeremiah Cradell from both Lincoln and Alex Grinch, but he doesn't have a ton of experience. We haven't seen him play a lot of football yet, and he's honestly, he's got a superior athlete coming for him behind him and Billy Bowman, the true freshman. So I'm really excited to watch those two guys go at it. You'll probably see quite a bit of rotation between those two guys, especially early on in the year, uh, the first few weeks of the season. And then safety for me, Pat Fields, DTY, both two-year starters, they're back. Both guys have played a ton of football in their careers at Oklahoma. I think DTY's job out of those two, I think it's probably secure for the most part, but when you move across over to the free safety position, yes, Pat Fields is a leader. He's probably going to be a team captain, but I'm just having a tough time seeing how he keeps his job. Uh, how somebody like a Key Lawrence, the transfer from Tennessee, 6'2", 210, we saw his 40 time, ran a 4'4", at that size and that frame, 
I would be very surprised if Key Lawrence doesn't take that job away from Pat Fields uh, by by the uh, the second week in October when they play Texas and Corbin. We haven't even mentioned Justin Harrington. What what they're going to do with him? I have absolutely no idea. And then one thing that I kind of want to throw back to you, really the only other thing, well, not the only thing, but the two other things that I'm going to be looking at uh, as we go through fall camp, one's the offensive line. There's been some stuff that's come out over the last couple days with the status of Wanya Morris. Obviously, you lose Stacy Wilkins to the transfer portal. So the tackle position at OU, it looked pretty good about two months ago. Now, you know, you lose one guy at, the, at either one of those positions. Now it gets a little bit dicey uh, on the exterior of that offensive line. And then last thing for me, man, to throw it over to you, you got to get Trey Bradford up to speed and you got to get him up to speed quickly. I think OU fans – Probably expecting a 13, 14, 15 game season. You want to have Brooks and Gray fresh, especially once you get to Big 12 play. So, um, losing McGowan, losing Mikey Henderson, Marcus Major, it's up in the air what his status is going to be for this season. So, DeMarco Murray needs to get Trey Bradford up to speed because he should be getting a good amount of carries, especially early on those first four to five weeks, especially late in the second half. So, offensive line, Trey Bradford getting up to speed and uh, position battles in the secondary, man. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, offensive line was one for me. Uh, I think you just, you know, hit the nail on the head there. Um, health. And the pieces are there for them to be really good, but it's thin. There's not a whole lot of room for error right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, until the Wani Moore situation gets figured out, I don't even know if any of us really know exactly what's going on right there. Um, but that obviously is a big question mark. I think a lot of people thought he would walk into a starting role, and now that's not looking like it's the case. Now we've got four weeks until the season starts. Lots of things can happen between now and then. But, yeah, offensive line was a big one. Honestly, maybe a little bit of surprise here for me. Probably the second th- you know, biggest question mark thing I'm kind of looking forward to is honestly the wide receiver position. Anytime Lincoln Riley has gotten a chance to call out that position, he's done it mm-hmm. in the past few months. And so the fact that he continues to do that – the only way I know how to interpret that is they're not performing quite to where he wants them to perform. I don't yep. think this is like a undersell the wide receiver group. I just don't think Lincoln functions like that. Um, so I think there's some legit questions with where that wide receiver group is. Um, I think you look at the potential talent with the Hazelwood, with a Weiss, obviously Creighton Bridges is no longer there, but mm. there's so much, so many people are just kind of waiting for those two to really take over. And they've certainly had some moments, especially from Theo, but yeah, can they, can those two guys finally step up into a power player in this offense? Can Marvin Mims, you know, avoid the sophomore slump and, and kind of maintain that elite, um, prowess on the field that he's had and where does Mike Woods fit into all this um you know so I think there's some legit questions there but you gotta think ever since CD left like granted that was only a couple seasons ago but wide receiver group was not the same last year yeah uh as great as Marvin Mims was not even close so I think for me those are probably the two biggest question marks heading into fall ball and it's crazy that I didn't even like think of anything on the defensive side of the ball. Both my questions were on the offensive side. And how how crazy is it? And I guess this, you know, just highlights how great of a job Alex Grinch and that staff has done in, in, in two short years. The fact that going into fall camp, a year where many people are picking OU to win a national championship, my questions and concerns are not with the defense. It's with the offense and what that's going to look like, which, you know, I, I trust Lincoln Riley as long as he's calling the plays and he's the head ball coach with, you know, with Bill Beanbow. I'm not too worried about those guys, but if I do have any question marks, it's on that side of the football. And I think we're we're poised to have a, a fantastic year on the defensive side of the football. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So, Corbin, anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. That was fun. Awesome, man. Well, again, appreciate you guys for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five star review. Let us know in the comment section what you want to hear more and more about. We've got some fantastic content coming down the pipeline. We are just thirty days away from the season opener against Tulane down in New Orleans at 11 a.m. So appreciate you guys for listening. We'll be back with a full crew next week, and can't wait to talk to you guys again on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.